Grosso from Vancouver to win it for Canada! Canada came! Canada conquered! Canada gold! Buchanan with the cross in towards Alfonso Davies! Canada's history-making moment delivered by their biggest superstar! A goal the country has been dreaming about for decades! Finally arrives! You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo. Alexander Gongay-Rujic and your host, Ben Steiner. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to the Northern Football Podcast. It's episode 142 of NFP. Ben Steiner alongside Peter Galindo and Alex Gongay-Rujic. A bit of a hiatus last week. We couldn't find a time that all three of us were available. CPL winding down in the regular season. Peter getting in a little car crash. Well, congrats on getting your driver's license as well. I'm unfortunately still working on that. Uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, as well as follow us on social media. And once again, apologies for the delay. We've got it all here today. We're back. <laughs> we are. Um, lots was happening, of course. The Canadian squad dropping, the fact that the Japan friendly is right around the corner, then the women have two friendlies coming up in a pair of Canadian cities as well at the end of the month. Everything else is just sort of starting to really pile up and and we kind of realize like there really isn't an ideal time to record it all this week because it seems like the longer we wait the more stuff comes in and then yes i did get into a small accident everything's fine though thankfully um so that kind of just topped things off in terms of like clearly the gods don't want us to record last week so that's why we are a bit late but fear not we're gonna have the preview we're gonna recap the squad a lot of questions thank you everybody for those questions and uh it is also very nice to be back on uh, the currently rainy West Coast. There's no more fitting way to, you know, than getting your end and getting in an accident in the same week. All that's all I'll say for uh, from your perspective, well. Peter. It's it's extremely fitting. So uh, congratulations on your uh, you. in- initiation as a Vancouver driver. It also wasn't my fault, and that is the best part. That's so, what they all say. You know what? I have dash cam footage. I can show you. All right. Slightly better than me when I got in a fairly significant accident on my driver's test uh, a few years back and ended up with one less door on the car. Um, But that also wasn't my fault. Uh, I had a green light. I was going through the intersection uh, and like, you know, that's allowed. I was in North Vancouver. Somebody was turning right on a red, also allowed, but you're not supposed to, you know, run into the car. And so they smashed the back door on the car and the, the door kind of was hanging off the car. Uh, and my, my driving assessor was, was not too happy with it. Uh, the driving instructor whose car I was using for the test was not so happy with it either. Uh, luckily it was all covered by, uh, the driving school insurance, uh, on the car that I was using. Um, but certainly shook me up a little bit after that. Uh, uh and yeah. unfortunately yeah, I've never had an accident, license. thankfully. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. if, if you want to take solace that there's not all NFP hosts, uh, our, uh, accident prone on the road put it this way the only nfp road trip we have taken agr has been the one driving both ways and there's a reason for that well neither of us had our license as well but yeah okay i'm trying to play on the, come on now even with the options though i'd still trust agr to drive us back both ways on no sleep then i would completely fine at this point i i i've been in and i had sleep when i did it <laughs> I've had a no yeah, sleep true. drive drive back yeah. from uh, Vancouver Island with AGR though, so uh, it certainly has been 
some interesting times in the car, but he's a good driver, rest assured. Uh, we'll yes. get into the Canadian men's national team squad now. 23 players were named to face Japan on October 13 in Niigata. Notable inclusions, Luke DeFougerol and Harry Payton are in the squad. Payton getting back into the Canadian picture and Fougerol, uh making his way into the picture as well. Notable omissions, Ali Ahmed, Nathan Saliba, Jonathan Sirwa, and Ike Ubo, among a few others. Mauro Biello also adjusting the national team staff. Stephen Caldwell getting called up to the national team. Paul Stalteri back within the pit- picture. York Lions head coach Carmen Sacco in the picture as well. And Paolo Ciccarelli also getting called up. Your thoughts overall? It's a very different looking Canadian men's national team setup. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the first window of with Mauro Biello. And obviously he, I guess, one of the lone benefits of having no September camps is that there is a chance to prepare uh, for this this opportunity, of course, where you know Mauro Biello is going to be, um, you know, he's, he is the interim manager for now, and obviously, as he stressed during his press conference, and he's had the chance to push out, he is gunning for the main job. Um, so for for this first camp, he's opted for familiarity. I think we've seen it uh, for, especially in terms of that staff, uh, you know, the likes of Caldwell, Stalteri. Uh, Isako, so some familiar faces. Caldwell in particular was an assistant for a good chunk there with Biello on Herdman's staff around 2019, um, uh, you know, I think as well 2020. Uh, so it's not surprising uh, in that regard to go with familiarity in this case. And then as for the call-ups, um, I'd say for, as mostly as expected, I think the really the only few surprises were Defugerol on the positive side, just because I think it's something where it's a friendly, if you can get him on the field, great. You're getting a chance to look at a top young prospect, one who, you know, he's been playing regularly for Fulham too. Uh, You know, he was in their preseason at such a young age. Uh, Fits a position of need. So that one was a welcome surprise. Um, You you look at, and then on the other side for me, it was a big surprise also not to see the, someone like an Ali Ahmed in, but as we saw from the, most of the selections, like a, a Samuel Piet, a Stephen Vittoria, Milan Borian, at least in Piet's, you know, on, on the, for, for Piet, for example, he's been playing regularly with Montreal. Uh, they've been struggling a bit as of late, but Piet's been putting in some solid showing. So that one certainly made sense given Canada's depth at the six, but between some of the options, it was a bit veteran heavy, but also that would make sense from Biela's perspective. You obviously, again, going with what you trust, what you need for the most part, and then sprinkling in some surprises like a Defugerol. Of course, someone like Mathieu Chouinier, long-deserved call-up, so that was great to see. So uh, there, mostly it was as, as, as one would have expected, if, you know, Uh, from this sort of announcement and getting into your questions as well from Blair Donnelly Borean again surely he is only being brought in for his leadership at this point do you see Crapo or St. Clair getting the start or god forbid Borean I would suggest Borean still gets the start I think when you're looking at uh, Mauro Biello's first camp you sort of want a little bit of consistency and a little bit of uh, holdover from what was there before and you know Crapo hasn't been in the camp for a long time uh, coming back from his injury. Of course, he's gotten back into regular match play with LAFC. St. Clair could play. I think that would probably be the preferred option when you're looking ahead. But Borean just offering the consistency and experience that he has at the back in a very new setup in a one-game chance. Maybe one half for Borean, you start him, and then you put Crapo in or St. Clair in in the second half. That could be the way to go. But I do think you'll see Milan Borean start this match. Uh, I mean, I'm not so sh- sh- sure that he's a 100% starter. 
I get why Boyan's brought in again. It's the, definitely that leadership. Um, just, you know, obviously it's a, a familiar goalkeeper group. He is playing to, you know, that's always going to be a benefit as well. That the fact that Boyan's still getting minutes, albeit inconsistent performances with Slovan Bratislava, he's had some good showings, uh, but he's also had a, you know, a few rough games uh, over his, you know, a couple months it's been now uh, over in Slovakia. So I think for Boyan, I think based on those performances, the job is certainly open. So I do feel like we could see a St. Clair start and maybe signify a bit of that start of that turnover in net um, ahead of, you know, of course, the huge must-win games in November. So I, I'm not 100% convinced that Boyan will um, start, but I guess we'll, we'll have to see because I guess based on the theme of that we've thrown out, that is familiarity, comfort, you know, Biello maybe not taking too many risks with the interim job, then Boran would be the shoe in choice. But I think based on the Gold Cup, based on the fact that, you know, uh, Minnesota United have been struggling, but St. Clair has had some good showings as of late for them. Crepo has, you know, found his feet. Uh, they did, you know, LAFC did a great job of slowly integrating him back into to, to action. And now he's been putting up some good showings as well. Crepo can also not uh, be counted out. So I do think it's a lot open, uh, at least maybe compared to other positions. And from Villain Brooks, after Boyan's antics at the Gold Cup, do you think he should start or learn to be a team player? And I think a lot of that was, you know, blown out of proportion. I think the plan all along was probably that Borian would go back after uh, the first few games at the gold cup. And I think that's probably the, the best option for him. And we've seen that in the way that he's been able to s- settle in, albeit inconsistently at Slovan Bratislava. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say those antics were something that shows his dedication to the Canadian team or anything within that. I know there's been reports out there that he wasn't so happy in that camp, but I do think that oh, a lot of that was by the way. probably within the plans what actually happened was and this was the plan all along milan got called up for the gold cup because given the turnover from the nation's league going into the gold cup the coaching staff wanted some of the veterans there to kind of help the new guys embed themselves into the team and milan is clearly one of the leaders of the program so he came in but with Slovan Bratislava having Champions League qualifiers in the middle of the Gold Cup, he was only going to come for the first two games. And then eventually Dane Sinclair was going to take over from Borean post Guatemala for the Cuba game and then for the rest of the tournament. That was always the plan. So the reporting from The Athletic where it said, yeah, Milan was not happy at this decision and that's why he left. That's completely false. It was always the plan. He was super receptive to it. Um, in fact, when he left the camp, he sent everybody, um, a lovely voice note saying, you know, thank you again for everything. Um, and, and just wished everybody the best of luck as Milan does. He's, he's a quality guy. But I guess that's, you know, also why, you know, Borian continues to, to be called in as we've also seen in the past. He is, uh, you know, his, his storytelling, a lot of that off field aspect does, you know, it was a reason why he was such a key leader under John Herdman. I mean, it's definitely something where, look, I'm certainly of the opinion where I think it's time to 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 really start and transition that number one role because you already look now. I feel like the likes of St. Clair Crepo have certainly, you know, pushed Boyan enough to to get longer looks in goal. And you especially you project someone the way 
like a Jonathan Sirois trending. Uh, you know, of course, you, you, Tom McGill could, you know, all it takes is one injury. Next, you know, he's starting games maybe for Brighton and then, then this discussion changes. So I do think, especially Project 2026, where is Milan Boyan going to be? It's hard to imagine him being even, you know, maybe even among the top five, top seven goalkeepers in that time. But as you ease that transition, um, having that face around is always key. And I mean, that's also, you know, why he was there at a gold cup. So hopefully, I guess we'll see what this camp ends up bringing, but hopefully this camp can really be the chance for a St. Clair or a Crepo to shine with Borean, you know, just continue to help and mentor as uh you know, he's always seemed to to have done, especially having the chance to, to you know, talk to him in, in interviews. He's always at least brought that that leadership side of his uh, his game to the table. And for Matt Ryard, Chuck, what else does Sirwa have to do to at least get a look? I understand Borean veteran and leadership role, but like, come on. I think cracking into that three players on the roster is going to be a, a difficult task. And we're seeing that it's a difficult task uh, to even, you know, get into it when there was an open spot there without great pose sort of being that secured within the trio. Um, I think you, you have to take a look at some point, but it's going to probably have to come at the expense of an injury or a Borean retirement. I have to say. Yeah. That one I'm torn. Cause I do think C-Rod definitely deserves a look just, I mean, he's had such a solid season at Montreal uh, has grown a lot. Um, the numbers for you know have been solid, especially for for a first year goalkeeper. He's still super young for a keeper as well. Uh, you know, helped by those two loans to the CPL. But I think yeah, you just look at the timing because I guess Borian was obviously uh, you know wanted by Biello for that leadership uh, at the goalkeeping position. Saint Clair was always going to get called in. He's you know as we're arguing, he could be the number one for this window. And then for Crepo, the fact that he's back and healthy, it would have been extremely harsh, I feel like, to not call him just because he's kind of, you know, he's 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 come in and, okay, he hasn't fully been up to Max Crepo's standards yet, but he's still been very good for LFC. It's, you know, they've, they've been, uh, they remain second, I think, in the West uh, as of us recording. Uh, you know, he's, he's stepped right back in and should be a key piece if they go out and win it all again it would have been extremely harsh to not bring him right back in the national team. So it just feels like a lack of opportunity uh, for Sirwa. But I suppose the, the the flip side of that is between Sirwa, between McGill, between some of these other guys all pushing on the door, competitions being created. And I think long-term that will always be a good thing. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see if what, what ends up happening with Sirwa. Because if he keeps pushing up like this, certainly next year he's going to have to get a, a, some sort of look. You'd imagine... Uh, say if you know we'll see if Canon makes it to the Copa America certainly in the lead up to that he could uh, really push for a third third or even second spot and from sound rationale at sound underscore rationale Davies is listed as a defender do we take that to mean it was Herdman who kept trying to push him up the field all along hoping that settled forever and in his pre-match pre-call-up availability uh Biello said that he sees Alfonso Davies as a defender and that's where he's going to play with the national team moving forward. Um, And that would offer a bit of consistency to Davies role with the national team, because when you look at what he's done over the last several years, especially under Herdman, there hasn't been that consistency for Alfonso Davies in the Canadian shirt. And even though you might not be getting the best out of him at left back in terms of the success for the Canadian team, it would offer a little bit of consistency to build around. And I think that can be seen as a positive. So yeah, I do think he's listed as a defender on the roster. And I do think that's probably where he's going to play. albeit you know, his attacking style as a defender. And also, I mean, it's one of those where 
certainly from Herdman's perspective, you maybe especially look back in hindsight, you're like, okay, you see what Davies is doing now, at least this year where he, to be fair, even this year under Herdman, he's been playing as a defender. I mean, yes, it's a three, five, two, he's a wing back, but that is pretty much, you know, I think again, that's Davies's best position right now is that wing back one. You do wonder if under hindsight, if Herdman maybe could have leaned on that earlier, making him a permanent wing back. Um, but I think we've seen already this shift to make, you know, Davies more of a permanent member a permanent defender, sorry, for Canada has kind of already been started. And I think it's uh, the right one. I mean, we spoke about it, all three of us, after the World Cup, the importance of finding that positional clarity for Davies. And to Herdman's credit, he found that this year. It's, uh, again, like Davies has been a left wing back, 3-5-2. There's been no questions about that. So I think Biel will continue that. And I think really the only thing to monitor is, will it be a back four? Will it be a back five? Because certainly you know, playing Davies as a wing back gets the most out of him. But the nice thing is about a back four is you can get some more wingers on the field, uh, you know, between the likes of a, a Buchanan, uh, maybe getting to play higher up the field, Miller, uh, you know, of course, you still got Hoylet around playing on the wing, Theo Corbiano not called in this camp, but he's been, you know, decent form over in Switzerland on, on the wing uh, that could also offer you that flexibility. So that's probably the more, more what I would be watching with Biello is does he dare try that back for, but uh, Davies has been a defender for a while to answer the main question. Another from Sound Rationale, do you agree with Bombito over Waterman? Is that a bit of a Quebec bias by Mauro? I mean, yeah, it was interesting, I guess, based on form. But Bombito's been playing well with Colorado, especially, I mean, uh, just watching him lately, especially that game against the Whitecaps a few weeks ago in midweek. He's been playing out of position. He's looked really good at left back. Um, he recently picked up a yellow card accumulation, so uh, missed out on the last two games, funnily enough, because one of them was suspended due weather delay, so his card accumulation got carried over technically. Uh, but he's been solid. So I think it's one where... Um, I am surprised not to to see maybe a Waterman or McNaughton. I know McNaughton did end up picking up an injury, and I wonder if he would have been included if not for uh, the knock that McNaughton ended up picking up. But uh, yeah, with Waterman, it's also tough because Montreal's form, and I mean, at least they finally won. They snapped, I think it was like a six or seven un, uh, winless run uh, right after the squad was announced. But for the most part, they've been struggling a bit defensively, especially offensively. I also do wonder if it's something where Bombito... Uh, was in decent form. Yes, Colorado's struggling, but uh, also Waterman's been playing in the middle of a back three. Bombito's been playing on the outside of a back four. Maybe Biello also wants to kind of test him out on the outside, uh, but to perhaps in that Alistair Johnston kind of backup role. Uh, I, I, that's probably what I'd, I'd say, but I'd say it isn't, uh, it wasn't that unreasonable. Definitely, I think earlier in the season, uh, if if this had happened, I would definitely, you know, feel like Waterman should earn that call. And I still do think he he should probably get a look, uh, say, in the next window, especially if Montreal continues this uptick of form. But for this camp, I don't think that was too egregious. If anything, I would have said maybe a Waterman over Vittoria, if anything, especially for given that Waterman's been playing in the middle of the back three. And from On The Rise FC, how important is Luke DeFou's roles to the future of the Can MNT? I think he's critical. Uh, having a player that can play the ball and be as composed as he is at just 17 years old, um, massive potential there. I mean, he has to, you know, grow into that role and we'll see whether he develops as a center back. He played there a little bit in preseason, primarily uh, plays a little bit more wide. And of course, Canada's fairly deep in those positions. But if he can develop as a center back, this is a massive coup for Canada, especially if he can get capped officially of course this is just a friendly so there's no cap tie in this and that's why it's a very low risk move 
for him to get the call up. And uh, he was slated to get called up to the U-20s just before the CONCACAF championship in 2022, but he withdrew due to COVID restrictions. Um, so he's been on the radar for a while, especially from Morrow himself. So the fact he's gotten the call up now, given the preseason he had with Fulham, and even recently he's played in a couple of competitive games with Fulham's U-21s and not looked out of place against kind of mid-tier League One sides as a 17-year-old, soon to be 18 in a couple of days, says a lot, right? Especially for someone who can play as a fullback, who can play as a center back. He has some experience playing in the midfield as well. And you can tell based on his on-the-ball attributes, really, and, and just how composed he is under pressure and how willing he is to carry the ball through a high line of engagement, how he can, you know, set up beautiful passing angles just so seamlessly. All these little things that you don't often see that sometimes for young players, it takes time for him. He's already got it. And part of that is the coaching he's getting. He's clearly getting elite level coaching in England and you see it with little intricacies like that. Uh, so if he can keep developing over the next couple of years, I mean, even this year, who knows, he could even end up getting some time because Fulham has been kind of dealing with some center back injuries throughout the year. Who knows, right? Especially when the league cup comes around, especially when, uh, the FA Cup comes around. He could end up getting an opportunity there, even if it's just on the bench and, and even as a as a training player. Yeah, I think it's hugely important just because, uh, especially the position center back. And it was interesting to hear Biello mention it explicitly because understandably he was asked about Defusero's inclusion in the press conference. And he mentioned as well, he's like, it's no secret where you know, looking to continue to shore up that center back position. And it would definitely be a good get because, yeah, this is someone who this summer was playing as a 17 year old at center back, which by the way, is, you know, he's never really played center back before. This is a fullback midfielder slotting in at center back against Premier League opposition and looking fantastically composed on the ball. And, you know, that sort of asset will be huge, especially say if Canada continues to play a back three, but even, you know, Fulham was playing with a back four and, 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 um, if Defugero had no problems with that, uh, you can slot him in as a ball player and that gives you more uh, potential. And all of a sudden, between the likes of a Defugero, Bombido, uh, you know, you, you continue to grow options. Someone like Cornelius as well, uh, who should get the start in this Japan window. All of a sudden, for example, just the, the a potential back three of a Bombido, Cornelius, Defugero, it's, that gives you a lot of ball playing, a lot of uh, you know, athleticism, some aerial ability between Cornelius and, and, and Bombido. Uh, you know, you're, you're just give, getting different looks, different bodies in there. So I think the fact that Defugero can come in and bring a, a different ball playing profile is is, is huge for the uh, the center back group. And of course, we'll have to see what happens now. Can he break into that Fulham first team? He's still super young, so it's not that much of a rush, but uh, definitely someone that Canada should be keeping tabs on. And the fact that he's been called into a U20 camp, now he's getting called into a senior camp is good to to show that interest and, you know, build it up so that, you know, there, there, there is an avenue towards cap tying him, especially as, as interest potentially only continues to grow from uh, other parties. I mean, it might even be too early for him in the 2026 World Cup to play a massive role, but, I, you know, he'll, he'll tear up the six countries hosting the 2030 World Cup um, that'll be, you know, <laughs> quite something, you know, see him waltz out, maybe Canada, Argentina opening match, uh, and then fly over to Morocco and next match in Portugal, I guess, just your thoughts on, uh, what's going to be an absolutely absurd 2030 world cup. It's certainly a 
bit of a surprise that they decided to do it this way. I thought they were going to go the South American route just because of the fact that it's the centenary version. Um, so the fact that they've included three other countries in two different continents on top of the fact that Paraguay, Uruguay, and Argentina are also going to be hosting games. It's nuts. I don't know how the hell they're going to make it work with all the time changes. And e even when I think about it now, weather-wise in Morocco and Spain and, and Portugal, like I don't know if people know, it gets pretty freaking hot there in the summer. So that could also be a bit of a problem on top of that, especially if you're in Argentina or a Paraguay or an Uruguay or whoever ends up playing in those countries, you go from what is moderately okay temperatures to just complete dead heat temperatures. Uh, that's certainly something they're going to have to navigate. And that's uh, an intriguing aspect for sure. The FIFA is just ridiculous. That's uh, six teams hosting a co-host. I know it's been expanded, but it's just... I don't know. There's so much about it. I think one point I saw that I liked was just like you lose the allure of hosting. I think first and foremost, like remember how special it was for South Africa to get a chance to host on its own and really, you know, first African nation hosting and how it meant to be able to just showcase itself to the world. And when there's six countries, you kind of lose that allure, especially when you look at yeah, everything about it from the fact they're on different continents, the fact that they're still they're trying to capitalize financially on the you know oh it's a centurion game let's get games in south america but then going to the north africa bid it's too bad because you think for example it could be really special just to have a morocco hosting on their own like especially with the success they had at this past men's world cup and you know the culture how much it's grown there and how special it is i feel like a moroccan tournament would be fantastic and the fact it's packaged in with two other continents as well it's just it's it's wild and it just feels like fifa has been doing a lot of this lately between the expansion of 48 teams between the expanded of the of the club world cup it just feels like on the men's game they've just been you know trying to grow 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 at at a certain point it's just like trying to grow for the sake of growth and trying to they've kind of lost a bit of reason and logic with all of that and now it kind of leads to this franken tournament of a 48 team world cup played in three continents that just feels ridiculous to even say out loud and of course the the one after that likely going to saudi arabia as well and fifa changing their stadium requirements from seven world cup suitable stadiums to four uh to meet what saudi arabia currently has uh but getting back to the canadian men's national team conversation just here for sports news and a underscore miller 16 chances luke defusrol actually plays against japan seeing as he can't be cap tied i would think he sees you know 15 minutes yeah i'd say because the nice thing, I guess, with friendlies, you kind of get those extra subs usually. I mean, it usually it's around six uh, subs, sometimes more. Of course, Canada has brought a lot of guys that they'd love to see. I mean, you know, you, hopefully Mathieu Chouinier sees the field. He deserves it for Canada. I mean, maybe off the back of his gold cup, maybe we can see a bit of Bombito outside center back uh, in a back three. But uh, yeah, hopefully the Fougerol can can slot in uh, and get a look against this Japan side because the, the lack of cap tie, uh, it was one of those where you'd imagine that that was the plan for someone like a Luka Koliosho at the time and didn't happen, especially seeing how things have gone for Koliosho since. Uh, hopefully the Fougerol sees the field, but also as we've seen from the past, can't, you know, some Herdman certainly, a lot of it, 
also came from how the player was doing in training. And I imagine Biela is doing the same. So hopefully Defugeral is doing well enough in training to even learn that, earn that opportunity. Cause I'm sure if he is, we'll, we'll see him on the field against Japan. Certainly maybe not for more than 20 minutes, but I still think that would be exciting. And hopefully he, uh, he goes out and, and makes that happen. And from shovel third, Harry Payton, really certainly interesting to see him called up considering the situation that has been surrounding him for the last several years with domestic battery allegations that were dropped. Um, but it's still a, a bit of a confusing call up because he doesn't necessarily seem like he would be in that 23 person picture anyways, given his form, but it's a chance for him. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a certainly complicated one uh, for, from that regard. Of course, uh, the chops, War uh, charges were dropped against him, but even just if you're going to the playing merit of it all, Biello mentioned because Biello was asked about you know where does he feel Peyton slots, and he mentioned him seeing as more the number six. Like that does make sense just because Canada struggled at the six. Bombito played there at the Gold Cup for a reason. Victor Latouri kind of had a bit of a quieter start to this season with Ross County. Peyton really came on the last few weeks and. Uh, you know, had big performances back-to-back weeks against Celtic and Rangers, which Biello highlighted in his um, chatter. So I think that's pretty much the main reason. I think, although at, at the same time, I, I get that. Um, I personally would have seen it, wanted to see an Ali Ahmed, you know, just because he was so good at the Gold Cup. He's been phenomenal with the Whitecaps. Um, I would have loved to see an Ahmed first and then even a, a Nathan Saliba just because he's been really consistent lately for Montreal and he also plays deeper on the field. Yeah, he's not, you know, he projects more of a, a number eight slash, you know, the second player in a double pivot versus an out and out six. But I think I would have liked to see Saliba as well. So I think it's one where within context, Peyton's inclusion made sense, like Biello mentioned for that six position. But I just think personally, I would have liked to see an Ahmed or a Saliba or both ahead of him so it's more so who was left out versus Peyton's inclusion I think and from on the rise should Nathan Saliba earn a call-up I'd say yes Saliba's in such a position of need for the Kahneman T and at only 19 playing great this season and I think he has to get called up yeah I'd agree certainly should be in that mix and like we mentioned Canada looking at all midfield options why not have a look at someone like Saliba especially given his age uh someone who can project long term of course you know, it's something where you could be like, you don't want him to, you know, maybe he gets this call up and then it just, you know, all of a sudden it's happening too quick and, you know, you want to keep him grounded. But I feel like he certainly, uh, especially you see the reports that uh, he could have been someone interesting to have a look. So I would have, uh, you know, been interested to see what Saliba can do in, a, in, you know, in a midfield trio, for example, with some of the options there. Um, given Canada's need at that midfield position. And we'll, we'll see what happens in November. I mean, I'd be surprised if he gets called up in November if he didn't get called in for October. And yeah, I think that's probably the big thing because someone like uh, Peyton as well, he's been in this camp before. He was at the 2021 Gold Cup. I feel like almost if you need in November and you kind of don't like your options, you could always bring in a guy like him because he's been around the group. I feel like this October window would have been a great chance to see some new faces like a Saliba. So yeah, I am a bit surprised, I will say. And from Joel Lozano, are you surprised about no Ali Ahmed? Not necessarily. Um, I do think that for friendlies in particular, there's a chance for clubs to be very convincing in the way that they release their players. 
Uh, of course, they're required to let players go for competitive matches. And for the most part, they're required to let players go in international windows. But when a team is relying on a player for the most part to make a playoff push and play competitive games, um, I do think that they have quite the say. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Whitecaps did whatever they could to hold on to Ali Ahmed uh, ahead of the end of the MLS season. Uh, of course, a, a long flight will be at shorter from Vancouver to get to, to Japan. Um, and so they want to probably hold on to him, make sure he's ready to go, especially considering they're without Andres Kubas for likely the rest mm-hmm. of the season, it looks like. Um, and so you kind of need to shore up that that Vancouver Whitecaps midfield. It could also be why Nathan Saliba didn't get a call up, why Jonathan Sirwa didn't get a call up. You could make that argument for so many guys because... When you look at it, so Richie Larea goes, Sam Atacubi goes, Junior Hoylet goes. All those guys have different statuses in the team. Same with Samuel Piet. But when you start to pick a certain amount of players from a from a team, especially for a friendly that involves a 12 to 15 hour flight, a crazy amount of time difference either way, clubs, especially at this time of the year, are going to be a bit hesitant to let go of more guys, especially when you throw in potential injuries. You mentioned the Kubas injury there, that potentially affected things. The fact Montreal is still fighting for their playoff lives on top of that, and they don't want to lose probably another key midfielder for themselves. All these things can go into squad selection. Well, I'd say to counter that though, looking at the the schedule, like it is worth noting this window is over so quick. I mean, I don't know what the plan is for Canada if they're going to keep training, but it's pretty much done by the Friday. So, like, say they travel back the Saturday, they'll be back for a full week of MLS training. Like, it's not like most windows where sometimes you're playing on the Tuesday and then you've got to recover or, you know, travel and you play on the Saturday and it really messes things up. They should have ample time to get back. I know it's not going to be easy going from Japan all the way back to, say, like, a you know, a, a Montreal, for example. That is not an easy journey at all, and I, I do get that. But this isn't a typical window, especially with that one game already being this Friday, right? Like it's, it's so, it is different in that regard. Plus like I'm looking, none of them play during this window, which could have been a factor like, you know, Colorado plays, but you know, they're pretty much, they are eliminated, long eliminated. So Bombito gets called in Nashville plays, which perhaps maybe if McNaughton was close to return, maybe that also explains why he didn't get a call new England as well. Maybe with the Mark Anthony K uh, who's been in you know solid form lately uh, at the number six position for for them. So those ones I get, but Montreal doesn't play all the way till Saturday. Vancouver doesn't play all the way till Saturday, and especially in Vancouver's case, like they're in the playoffs. And as of this weekend, they've booked a top seven spot, which is what they wanted. They wanted to avoid the play, and of course they can push up to to top four, but. If, you know, Ahmed has been playing 10 minute spurts uh, as of late anyways, and he's been excellent in those 10 minute spurts and should be getting more than those 10 minute spurts that he's gotten. I think the last two or three games it is, Actually, I think it's been three where he's come off in the last 10 minutes, um, at least the DC and the Seattle one. So yeah, I'd say I'd counter it with that, but also it could be something to, 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 to offer a different counter argument. Maybe it is just wanting more of that veteran presence like a Peyton because Biela worked with them in a 2021 Gold Cup or, of course, a yeah. Borean versus a Sierra. And I think that would make more sense. But I think if we're, you know, if you're if you're looking at more based on form, I'd say Ahmed, Sierra and Saliba uh, we, we could, could all earn looks. And I don't think the schedule thing is as big in their circumstances specifically. And from sound rationale, do you agree that Brim 
deserves the call up over Ugbo. Ugbo is off to a great start with Cardiff and Brim is the laziest player since Balotelli. I would have liked to see Ugbo called up, but I don't necessarily mind uh, Charles Andreas Brim getting the opportunity here. I definitely think Brim, uh, he continues to be a very useful depth piece for Canada. Um, I think that's something where I'm not, yeah, I'm not so plus about uh Brim's inclusion, he hasn't been really getting many starts for Sparta Rotterdam. Of course, he had that one start against Feyenoord where he scored the brace, but he hasn't really been able to build off that. The Ugo one, yeah, the, the Ugo, I definitely am surprised he didn't get a look just because he has been scoring. Yes, his performances have been very mixed. It, it, it's been it's been kind of fascinating to watch almost where, you know, it's maybe, I, I definitely argue at Trois that Ugo is having way more consistent solid performances if anything there's were there were times where he wasn't scoring despite his solid performances whereas now at cardiff he's had you know overall the the, the basis of performances there have been a lot more quiet ones than strong ones yet some you know he's been getting in the right positions and getting the goals so i guess as a striker you could argue that uh he's been you know he's been doing the the, the right thing so i definitely would have liked to see ugbo but um perhaps it's something where they just felt like on the ba- overall basis of performances that he just hasn't been pushing to the levels that he can be that he showed at Trois. so maybe they're wanting a little bit more than him on that but I guess you could also argue with Brim not getting that many minutes that you know you, you I I could have pro- I probably would have selected Ugbo in this case but I don't think it's that much of a discrepancy where I'm like okay that was a huge miss especially maybe compared to some of the other positions and from Steve at Binatch 2, not sure about calling out players with few minutes this season. Is the goal to rely on a solid base to get results in Nations League games, then play younger players in the Copa America and work with that newer base for 2026? I'd say I probably, at least for the, the former, because at the same time, you have to remember these qualifiers, there is such little margin for error. It's going to be two legs. As you know, you can have one bad leg and all of a sudden you're done, right? Like you can have a bad 30 minutes and you're down 3-0 and that's your two legs spoiled and you're out of a Copa America. So I think in those sorts of scenarios, coaches are always going to lead on their, their veterans that are at least players that they're familiar with. So I think especially that Biello's coming in as kind of the interim, he's not going to want to wear, okay, maybe he goes out with a younger experimental lineup. They lose, even if it's not really like, say they play well, they give up two cheap goals and they lose. He would wear that, right? So I think it, 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 I'm not surprised to see more of a veteran lineup. I'd just say, of course, you'd want to see Canada continue that transition into more younger faces. And uh, I mean, I personally, I'll, we'll see, I guess, with the lineups. Uh, of course, November is a long ways away, but we'll see uh, some of the faces who get included, like who's in goal, for example, who, who what what the midfield ends up looking like. Uh, but I am not surprised that Biela would go for that. It makes sense from a coach's perspective. But certainly if they do make it to Copa America, yeah, you'd hope that some younger players get that chance because, yeah, it, it's going to be a huge opportunity for guys who are going to be there in 2026. Like we've mentioned, Borean, Vittoria. We have no idea where these guys are going to be in three years. Uh, but it's hard to imagine them still being in the picture. Whereas guys like Bombito, to use an example, Ahmed, some, uh, you know, Schwanier, et cetera, you expect these guys to be around in 2026. So you may as well get a gauge of where they're at against Copa America level comp- uh, competition. So hopefully should Canada make it that we see a lot of them in the lead up to the Copa America. And then of course at the Copa America, but I get why we're not made. We might not see them as much uh, in these, in these games where coaches are always going to rely on your veterans, especially if you're an interim guy, like, like Biela who doesn't want to wear a potential embarrassment. 
And from North fan, Steve, what does it take for a veteran not to get called up to this team? Adekubi can only play 45 minutes. Larea is slow and out of form. Hoylet barely plays. Piet hasn't looked good in two years. Meanwhile, no Ahmed, Schaffelberg, Saliba. What the fuck? Um, I think a lot of the players you listed are actually in decent form. Uh, Larea showed that he was in, in decent form against Seattle. Um, Hoylet is still getting up to speed as well. Um, I do find it interesting that you named primarily Vancouver Whitecaps players uh, other than Samuel Piet. Piet, I think, still has a place on this team, especially in friendlies and offering a bit of that that leadership and consistency as well. Um, and there's not necessarily somebody who's an outright tackler like he is uh, on this team either, because, I mean, you look at Stefan Estacchio and he's not exactly as feisty, um, and you kind of need somebody to fill in essence, what was the Hutchinson role for a long time. And Piet, he's not going to be an out-and-out starter for this team. But, you know, as player number 18 on the list, he can probably still crack that Canadian squad. It's probably going to take injury or age or a a massive move for a veteran not to be on the squad. Uh, But it does seem like there's a group of players that are pretty much there uh, to be called up in and out. And I wouldn't necessarily say that Atacubi and Larea are necessarily within that realm of players you want to be phasing out at this point either. I'd say for in this case specifically, I mean, Atacubi is still pretty much the locked on backup behind Davies. So you can say in this case, we imagine three, five, two staying like in Davies is the starting left wing back. I mean, it's at a Kubi, I'd say by a pretty good margin is still the, the backup based on performances form, you know, past Kanamenti, et cetera. Ditto with Larea behind Buchanan slash Johnson at that right wing back role. Of course we don't, you know, I imagine, I guess Johnson's probably going to still be in that right center back role, uh, but Larea is still the pretty clear backup behind a Buchanan. Buchanan's not even at this camp. So we could see Larea get some reps and he's been, he's been, Pretty solid at Vancouver for the most part. Really, what's let him down has just been end product. But for the most part, he's been getting into the good areas, winning a lot of fouls, kind of doing Richie Larea things. Piet, I mean, we talk a lot about the lack of number six depth. Piet's been, you know, playing regularly for Montreal and been solid. So I'm not surprised there. And as for Hoylet, I mean, you you look at the attacking options. Kyle Aaron's been struggling for 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 goals and form in Spain. Like Canada's attack. Uh, for the most part, is uh, you know it's been struggling in Hoylets again. He's been putting up good showings for Vancouver, just maybe not getting the G plus A uh, to show for, for. So, so in those cases, I'd say no. I'd say if anything, someone like a Vittoria could have a better argument about it. For to Vittoria's credit, his his form has been in a bit of an uptick the last two games. I think it has been for Chavez. Uh, he really struggled to start the year in terms of consistency, getting minutes, and I wondered. If he'd get dropped, especially with all the center back options emerging, he's found his feet as of the last few games. And you add in, you know, injuries and form down ticks against the other some of the options. But I could have had, I'd maybe see a bit more of an argument for like a Victoria, for example, for Borean. But I'd say in the case of Atacubi, Larea, Hoylet, Piet, it's not that egregious. And from Villain Brooks, with hindsight being 2020, but with only one game in the past two months, should Canada have tried to bring in their A squad for the Gold Cup? I believe this whole preparation period did not achieve anything besides a loss of team chemistry. They could have. They could have called up the main squad, but I don't think a lot of those players would have gone. I think there were a lot of players that probably just would have declined simply because of the timing of the Gold Cup. And we've talked about it on past episodes and we've talked about it in general as well, that the Gold Cup every two years is not at a time that is indicative to calling up the best players. And I think that probably ended up costing Canada this summer. Um, 
that being said, I think it was also a valuable opportunity to see what they had in a lot of other players. We saw Ali Ahmed prove that he can be within an A squad. We saw Jacob Schaffelberg prove that he can be on the fringes of an A squad. Um, and a few other players that really put themselves on the map with the Canadian men's national team in terms of calling up that top squad. But at the same time, as you say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I thought at the time they were probably making the right decision. Um, and at the time, there were also potential rumors that Canada would have other games uh, to prepare for in the fall windows. Of course, there wasn't necessarily the possibility of Herdman leaving the role at that point. So you, you'd imagine that Canada might have gotten a game in the September window as well. There were, were certain possibilities uh, within the realm um, that Canada could have played other games. And I'd say you could argue they've tried to bring in as much of an A squad as they can. Of course, the likes of Davies, David weren't included because club slash potential transfers, um, you know, diddle with Laren, who did get actually did end up transferring um, Buchanan as well with the early start. So, I mean, they tried to call Nustakio, if not for a late injury that ruled him out. Um, Vittoria was there. Boyan was there and only had to leave because of a club commitment. Um, so I think you could argue that they tried to call in a pretty A squad if you look across the board. So I'd say if anything... Uh, I mean, as we mentioned at the time, there are arguments of Canada brought too much of an A squad. Some people are arguing, uh, you know, should they've brought more young guys and gone for more of a generational uh, shift. So I'd say no, just because I think at the time the discussion hasn't really uh, changed since. They wanted to go a bit more of an A team. They brought what they could. And I guess we'll see if that pays off because I guess some of the benefit is that, for example, heading into this camp, you know that someone like a Bombito got reps with the likes of a Lorea and a Vittoria at the Gold Cup, or that, you know, Osorio was able to play with some of the other options in a midfield. Of course, Ahmed's not here in October, but he could be in November. So at least, you know, that an Osorio, Ahmed, uh, you know, they've got reps together. So I think you saw it at the, the, the Gold Cup that it was a pretty strong contingent of A group guys. Hoylet as well got reps with some of the other options up front. It, it's, it is worth noting. And from Vince Alvarado at Vince by Demand, do you guys expect Canada to hold a January camp? Seems like there's too much talent in North America and in Scandinavia not to have one. Of course, there's also talent within mainland Europe as well. Um, I don't necessarily think they have the money to do so, but it would be great to see a return of Camp Poutine. Puts in for those listeners from Quebec. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily see it happening. I think it depends entirely on whether they get a general secretary hired full-time and that coach full-time gets hired as well around the same time. If that does happen, I think the chances are decent, but I would say as of right now, it's probably not going to happen as for the same reason that until we have been proven otherwise, we can assume that there are going to be fewer matches or camps available due to financial constraints that have been well-documented, right? I'd say in an idealist world, I'd love to see a scenario where, you know, the U.S. obviously always holds their camp cupcake. It would be nice to have some sort of like annual game where you just you play the U.S. kind of MLS Scandinavian guys against Canada's MLS CPL Scandinavia guys. So I'd say from an idealist scenario, I'd love to see it. Of course, we'll have to see if financially um, that's viable. But uh, yeah, I mean, all those sorts of camps can only help. I feel like Looking back over the last few years, I think, you know, these camp puts in really helped some some of those MLS guys find their feet, um, like even like the likes of a Kamal Miller, for example, really 
uh, in 2020 and 2021, those sorts of camp poutines really helped players like Kamal Millers and, you know, Alistair Johnson's and the like. So I'd like to see it. And hey, maybe there's an opportunity with uh, some sort of annual game with the U.S. But of course, as we've seen the last few years where we haven't really seen these camp poutine, uh, the, the proof will be in the pudding or I guess in the poutine, so to speak. Peter, how do you say that Canadian delicacy? I, I say poutine. I butcher it. Was called out by a former relationship I had with somebody from Quebec uh, that called it poutine, and I was calling it poutine, and I was called out quite a few times. But getting into our match preview, getting into the Canada versus Japan match, uh, that match kicks off at 6.35 in the morning Eastern time, 3.35 in the morning Pacific time. It's going to be an early one uh, or a late one, depending on how you take it uh, back to those Australia World Cup hours, but hopefully a better performance uh, from Villain Brooks. What formation do you think Biela will use based on the talent at hand? I mean, I think three, five, two, I'd say they stick with the three, five, two, uh, just based on that's what they've played pretty much all of 2023 with little exception. You continue to play Davies as more of a wing back. Um, we'll see who they play. Otherwise at right wing back, will LaRea I mean, Larea has been playing at right wing back for the Whitecaps, so that's a natural fit. If not, I wonder if maybe we see Johnson in that role um, and in goal. I mean, we've debated so hard to see who uh, will we'll slot in there at the back, likely Vittoria in the middle. That's why he's brought in. Then a Kamal Miller uh, and then a, actually and a Cornelius. I mean, Cornelius is supposed to start. So maybe we see something where Vittoria either slots to the right or goes to the bench, actually, because, I mean, Cornelius should start. So I'm curious to see how it gets arranged. Uh, at the back, and then in midfield, Kone Ustakio. Interesting to see the third, probably Azorio, although Schwanier could earn a shout. And then up front, probably just going to be David and Laren, despite Laren's form. Maybe the hope that this camp can kind of jumpstart Laren's form for club, uh, you know, because he's always seems to show up for country. So I'd expect a 3 5 2, and I'd expect something along those lines. My only question would be who starts alongside a Cornelius at center back, who starts in goal, who starts at right wing back, who's the third midfield. Other than that, I'd say it's pretty straightforward. And from Michael, do you guys agree with Davies being used in his natural position of left back for this window, or should he continue to be utilized more up front? I don't want him to see him at left back. I would like to see him be utilized as more of an attacking presence because that's where I think Canada probably needs the help in a lot of ways. Uh, given the depth at left back, but I do think that we're going to see him as, as that left wing back in this camp and probably moving forward. Well, I like the wing get back because he still has defensive capacities that you don't want to lose completely. And I think at wing back, that's a good balance of you still get him behind the ball. You still get him to use that speed, which is, I mean, you see how Byron uses it in terms of just, he's, he's just a one man, like, transitional counter I just like every time it seems like there's any sort of transitional threat against Bayern it's just Davies there to clean it up so it's like feels like Canada could use that especially because Canada struggled in transition before and I think a wingback role still you get that while getting him further up the field and I mean I'd be curious to see how we do at left backs it feels like we also just haven't seen him there because I think earlier in his Canada tenure Herdman tried him there and it was still when he was very new to it at Bayern and it just was kind of all you know, chaos translating what he was trying to learn at Bayern at the time to Canada. But I'd love to maybe even see it now to see if, again, if he can kind of be that transitional threat stopper that he is at Bayern, but still, he still gets forward with like a wing back in a back four. So I wouldn't rule it out the, the possibility either. Although I, I'd imagine the wing back role just continues to, to happen based on, uh, you know, what Herdman did earlier this year. And looking at the depth and projecting two years down the road, I know projections are never guaranteed, 
but are we better playing Davies as a fullback or letting him keep his attacking role? Consistency is key. As I said before, I'd like to see him in a more attacking role and, you you know, maybe play Adekubi as that fullback. Um, but you're probably, especially if Biello gets the full-time role, which at this point I would not be shocked he does, uh, I would see him sort of as that fullback moving forward. I mean, you're also dictated by what happens, right? Like, I think, ideally, I think personally, if Canada gets the centre-back options over the next few years, they'll want to play back four just because... I think you get more attacking options on the field. Like I think the reason why I, you, over the last years, why is Canada played a back three? It was because they kind of had a lack of options at center back and they felt that a third center back on the field and like that Alistair Johnson role can help mask some of those maybe deficiencies they had at the position. So I do think, for example, if a, a Bombito pops off, if Cornelius continues to do well, if the Fougerol breaks through at a Fulham and they secure his commitment to, you know, if something like that happens, you're able to play a back four. I think we see Davies at fullback just because you look out in the wing, there are options where, you know, if, uh, you've got the the likes of a Buchanan, um, a Ho- uh, well, Hoylet for now. You've got Corbianu Miller. Who knows? Maybe there's some way where you can convince a Coleosho somehow, some way. Of course, this is a long shot, but hey, you could convince him being like, look, we're playing a 4-3-3 long term maybe. Um, and there's a starting spot for you. Maybe you somehow secure him. There's also other winger options out there uh, in the younger age groups that could also pop off between now and then. Uh, so I think if that mix of wingers popping off and center backs popping off, we could see Davies slot into a left back. I think if not, we, he, we just see him more at wing back just because again, that remains kind of the, the best balance of what he's good at doing on both sides of the ball. And if you're to project an 11 and make a score prediction as well, what does this look like uh, on Friday early morning? I'd pretty much, I mean, I've thrown my lineup out there. I'd say if I were to pick, I'd, I'm going to go St. Clair and goal. Um, why not? It's a bit of a bold choice. I'd say that's probably one of the only bold choices I'll, I'll throw in. I'd say if you're doing a, a three, five, two, the back three, um, oh, it's going to be tough. Cause I'd say Cornelius in the heart of the back three, I'd probably say Kamal Miller alongside him. And I guess Johnston, I know it's bold not to see Victoria, but this could also be a chance to experiment. Probably Larea at right wing back Davies at left wing back Midfield three of Ustakio, Kone, Osorio, just Biello's probably going to lean on that familiarity. And then up front, David Laren. So I'd say pretty straightforward. And then that's for a score prediction. It's a good Japanese team. They're playing in Japan. Canada hasn't played in a while. I'm going to go 3-1 Japan. I'm going to go with Alex on the 3-1 for Japan. Uh, I think it could also be 4-1. Uh, it depends, you know, who starts in goal. If it's Crapo, uh, you know, wanting to throw him in, maybe there's, there, I say a bit of French Canadian favor to throw Crapo in there. I, yeah, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a positive game result wise, but I do think we're going to see a lot of things uh, from this Canadian team that will give us an indication of where, you know, it's at, where it could be uh, and what players could be taking on larger roles in, in the near future. But the Canada-Japan match is not the only Canadian soccer match happening in October. Canada against Brazil will play in Montreal and Halifax. Absolutely wonderful to see a match make its way to the Wanderers' grounds in Halifax. They'll play in Montreal on October 28th and then a Halloween night game in Halifax on the 31st. Quick thoughts on the different hosts for the women's national team. We haven't seen a match in Halifax for, I mean, it must have been back 1980s uh, when... Canada was playing fairly regular games in the Maritimes. 
on the men's side at least. Not only are they getting games in different cities, but they're just getting games in the country in general. And that's really good to see because clearly one of the biggest problems for, for both programs really that we've had in this country is that usually it's one, maybe two cities sharing the bulk of the matches. And it's usually Toronto for the most part because they have the facilities, they have the grass pitch. It's easier for travel reasons, etc. We've gone over it many times. So spreading the love a little bit is really, really nice to see, especially considering how horrid that World Cup was. The fact that there's been some goodwill reinstated recently after beating Jamaica and doing so pretty convincingly. Um, you're going to get a familiar opponent to you, but a quality opponent nonetheless. So all those reasons, it, it, it's great to see. Um, and that's going to help drive revenue too for the program heading into the Olympics. And obviously we all know how important that is going to be, uh, even with the own the podium money coming in. But um, look, it, it is amazing that they are going to be going to different cities and hopefully the men follow suit too, because it would be great to be able to go to all corners of the country. Yeah, I think it's fast or fantastic, sorry, from the uh, venue standpoint. Just because, again, this is huge. Like, it's great for Halifax. I mean, especially you just see how they've come uh, and really taken support of the Wanderers this season, selling out games, first playoff game coming to Wanderers grounds, which we'll talk about. They sell that out nearly even before the date was announced. Um, now you also add that they're proposing to build a you know more permanent venue, 10,000-seater. Having a women's national team game come and sell out will also help for that. And again, those I think that's going to be great to, to, to see from that perspective. So uh, I'm excited to see the venues as well as Montreal. They always deserve more national team games, men's and women's. So it's great to, to see a you know, women's game and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they'll be able to, to fill it to a good level uh, and, 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 you know, show out. As for the games itself... It is a bit of a mixed one because it's Brazil. It's a good test. It's a tier one test, as the, you know, the, I always like to say, but they have played Brazil a lot. I mean, they played uh, Brazil, what, once earlier this year, and she believes twice last fall uh, when they went down to Brazil. And there's a couple other games sprinkled. I think since Priestman's been in charge, they've played them like eight times or something ridiculous like that between Olympics, she believes, and everything. I think it might even be closer to 10. I'm just kind of at the point of, at a certain point with how the women's game is growing, you wonder if a team in the 30s, 40s, okay, maybe they might not be as good as Brazil, but they can offer you a bit of a different test. Because as we saw at the World Cup where Canada struggled against like an Ireland, uh, some of these you know teams in that range can really cause problems and offer something different. But at the end of the day, it's two good friendlies against a good team. Um, maybe this will force Canada also to adapt and continue their adaptation that they've started this last camp, you know, new playing a bit more with the back three, uh, you know, experimenting with new faces. So I guess so. it's one where it's not a bad opponent at all, but I do wonder if they could have maybe varied things up, but that's also where the November window could perhaps come into play. And getting into our Canadian Premier League playoff preview as well was certainly an exciting last chase for the playoffs for York United indeed. Uh, winning in Vancouver and beating Ottawa in exciting fashion at home as well. Uh, the playoff matchups are set. Pacific plays York at Starlight on Wednesday in the play-in game. The winner faces Halifax at Wanderers Grounds on Saturday in the quarterfinal. That is a long journey from playing the play-in game on one side of the country to going all the way to the other side to play the quarterfinal. So certainly favors Halifax in that one. Calvary and Forge also play Saturday in the first semifinal. 
The winner of Cavalry and Forge advances to the final, loser in the second semifinal against either Halifax, Pacific, or York. Matchup by matchup, how do you see this sort of playing out? I think Pacific probably has the win in them uh, against York on Wednesday, and then I think Halifax probably gets past Pacific as well. And then Cavalry Forge, I think Cavalry is riding such a high at the moment that they'll go to the final. And honestly, I see them doing the double, but I would see a Cavalry Halifax final. I pretty much see that going exactly the same way. When I look at Pacific, I feel like they are just going to completely, I I feel like turn it back on again. Because when you look at their underlying numbers, they have had the worst quote unquote underperformance when you look at their expected goal difference and their actual goal difference. They should have conceded, I think it's like five fewer goals than expected. And I think they should have scored about three or four more than they were expected to score. And given the talent that's in that team, given how they do play and Pacific has the ability to turn it on, I from there, that's where it's going to be tricky. I imagine HFX is going to be able to get it done at home. They've been very good at home. Um, defensively, they have one of the best defenses in the league when you look at the underlying numbers um offensively might be where you ask some questions because i think they're only middle of the pack in that way even when it comes to shots produced and shots on target and all that but that'll be a narrow one i imagine they win it just because of the home advantage and then they're going to end up meeting cavalry in that in that final look I, i understand forge they they can also turn it on at a moment's notice but given how I feel tight this league has been all year. This is probably the biggest toss-up we have ever had in terms of, I honestly don't know who could win the title. You can make the argument for any, uh, maybe not York. I don't think York will go far, just given how horrible defensively they are. Any of the four teams, you could easily see them going on a 2-3 game run and being able to win the damn thing, which is pretty telling of how the season went on for the first 28 games of each team. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's tough because I could honestly make a decent argument for all five teams. Um, although, uh, I mean, again, for York, it's, it's not as much for me, their road performance. It's just the fact that uh, they have to play every top four team on the road to win a title, which that is, if you pull that off, like fair play, that's a like, you know, film the documentary, write the, write the book, right. About how York did that. But I, I mean, I just look, I think, I feel like this is Caval- cavalry year to make the final. A fun fact that I stumbled upon researching, they've never actually won a playoff game if you exclude the Island games. So they're kind of due on that regard, given that this has pretty much been, you know, their best season since 2019. Like the fact, like, which is wild. They were really close to pushing the 2019 team on a few metrics, Mm -hmm. uh, I think including wins and points, which is wild because that 2019 team steamrolled everyone. And the league is a lot more competitive now. So I think this Cavalry team just shows how good they are. So I definitely think this is a year where Cavalry makes the final. Um, but then after that, it's like you can make an argument for Forge just because, again, they turn it on in these sorts of situations. They're always almost better in the playoffs when they're a bit, you know, forgotten and smirked on. Pacific, just the underlying numbers for me, I feel like they're due. Um, especially d- defensively, it feels like they're due to, to to really come good in the playoffs. And then offensively, as we've seen, they can turn it on in games, although it's been uh, hard to back the what we've seen from them offensively. 
you look at Halifax as well. They just, they, they play such great football. They get at home. So they'll give them an advantage in that three matchup. Uh, they've really risen to every, risen every challenge that they've got. They've got depth. And then for York, I mean, they just, they find a way, they find a way and they get points on the road. They, you know, they, 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 they know how to go up against these situations. I'd probably say based on all of that, it just feels like we're going to see some sort of cavalry Pacific final. I think that's just kind of what I feel like we'll see just because for Halifax, I mean, we'll see what happens. They've kind of responded to every challenge. I mean, there's a reason why many of them didn't even have them in the playoffs in their preseason predictions. I'll put my hands up. I didn't, they proved me wrong uh, and they've proved me wrong in style. And there's uh, definitely one of the teams to watch stylistically, but it's going to be a huge ask to now go out and do it again in the playoffs, especially because, you know, York has experience in the playoffs. Pacific, of course, has experience winning a title. Forge does as well. And I mean, Cavalry is Cavalry. So I'd say just early projections, I'd probably see a, a Cavalry Pacific, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, any combination of the top four. And as for York, I just think if I, I struggle to see them making the playoffs more or the final more because of the format and how, Part of it is deservedly so. That's the, one of the rewards of this format. You finish higher up the table, you get an easier road to winning the playoffs. Uh, so I think because of that, I don't think I'll, I'll, York's the one team where I'm like, okay, I, it'll be hard to see see them making the final because of that. And getting into our MLS recap just briefly as well, since we last recorded, the Whitecaps clinched a playoff spot and a home playoff game, still fighting for top four entering decision day against LAFC. And I found it kind of cute how they announced you know, they've got a home playoff game, but it's a very romantic way of saying we're not finishing ninth. Uh, CF Montreal is eighth place in man so tight Eastern Conference playoff race. Toronto FC clinched the wooden spoon as well. And from accomplished troll at Toronto Maple FC 2, random and highly hypothetical, but if Axel Schuster was somehow even vaguely interested in the move, how much should TFC throw at him? The kitchen sink, the whole kitchen, the entire city of Toronto? I don't think he's the guy for the way that Toronto FC wants to build a club um, because he's not necessarily the type of guy who's going to go spend the big money. And I think TFC, even if they change their philosophy, still want a little bit more of a flashy player. They're not necessarily um, dropping their jaw over, you know, Alessandro Schupp. Doesn't mean Axel Schuster can't do it though. Cause I feel like that's honestly the easy part in a lot of ways is that you can always identify the right targets. And that's something that he could actually do very well because look at what, the club has done over the last couple of years. They identified Ryan Gold as a designated player. They've they've been able to establish the spine of the team. Andres Cubas is part of that. Um, I guess Ranko Veselinovic is part of that, given the long-term extension. They bring in Richie Larea, Sam Atakubi. Brian White is made essentially the number one striker now. Um, so they've been able to fill in the pieces that they have signed around that very nicely too, on top of being able to bring in the quote-unquote star names. Now, would Ryan Gold be a big enough star for MLSE that's up for debate, but that doesn't mean that Axel Schuster can't come in and end up giving them what they want and then fill in the gaps around it. That's really going to be the challenge and has been the challenge for TFC for the last five years. Well, maybe since Greg Vanny left in 2020, at least. So I think that if he were interested, he wouldn't be a, a bad fit. I think he'd be a decent fit, but he does have a contract till the end of, I believe it's 2026. So in order to get him out of that, they probably will have to throw the entire city of Toronto to get him out um, and pay him quite handsomely in order to do so as well. So it is a massive hypothetical. I don't think it would happen. If anything, Schuster might maybe go back to Europe 
um, if the opportunities are there. But I could also see him staying in Vancouver long term because based on what he's done over, especially over the last year or two, um, he definitely has a lot of clout built up on the West Coast. That's for sure. And that's all we've got for episode 142 of the Northern Football Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Apologies for our missed week, uh, but we'll be back with a post-match show after Japan, as well as looking ahead to the Canadian women's national team matches as well. Lots of good things in Canadian soccer, lots of not so good things in Canadian soccer as well, but we'll stick with it through it all. And we'll be back next week for episode 143.